0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Ash Wednesday kickoff for our Making Room for God initiative. Mark and I and each pastoral team in our communion of churches, we're just delighted that you've decided to join us as we sort of take this 40-day journey to Easter that we're calling Making Room for God. It's a a season really modeled after the ancient practice of Lent, which goes all the way back to the 5th century, and some of the leaders in that century, uh, if you read them, claim that it went back even much further than that and it was just basically a time to enter some things uh... with purpose that are spiritual things like prayer extra prayer maybe extra reading of scripture uh, some extra meetings we're putting together small group meetings in our context um, to enter into some rhythms of spirituality that can help open our hearts to god in a fresh new way and it also implies the notion of abstaining from some other things uh, which is really what fasting is all abo- about about um, let me just sidebar and say this. You know, I'm not really a big fan of dead religion, pointless religion. I grew up in a particular uh, church that had lots and lots of symbolism, lots and lots of things, uh, where I didn't know what in the world was going on, and I always kind of hated it. I And I, I used to do Lent when we were kids, Mark and I did, and uh, it was about suffering. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. It wasn't until after I came to Jesus, um, you know, and, and I began to realize that, that faith is not about dead religion. It's about Jesus. He's the one that suffered. We don't have to suffer for him. We don't have to try to earn our salvation, all that stuff. So on one level, there's a a thing in me that's so hesitant about encouraging gestures like we're participating in. And yet on the other hand, uh, as I've gotten older, I've come to fall in love with some of the patterns that the church developed over the centuries. I mean, sometimes we moderns tend to think that um, if we don't think of it you know, it can't really be valid. It can't really be right. It's sort of a modern hubris, this modern pride. But I've come to believe that those who've lived before us, you know, they, they, got, they might have gotten a lot of things wrong, but they've gotten, they, they got a lot of things right as well. And I think it's really wonderful to have a season in your life where you sort of purposely deny yourself a little. Jesus talked about denying yourself. Um, engage in some things deliberately. Uh, not because we're trying to earn anything with God, because you don't want what you've earned with God. But almost to, to sort of shake ourselves up a little bit, the scripture actually says that we to examine ourselves and, and really to focus on this idea of resurrection. Easter is about new life. Lent really meant originally just spring, this time for new life. And and for us to focus on being new creations. And what does that mean with you as a dad, a mom, in, in your job, on your job, whatever you're doing, uh, school? How are you living out the new creation? And it really was about examining your life to make room for God, to make sure, you know, because you you know how your life can get cluttered and distracted. I just uh, was in the car a few minutes ago and and, uh, a friend of mine was getting in. I had a bunch of stuff on the car seat and I had to get it, make room for him, get the stuff that was there out of the way so I could make room for him. That's kind of the idea here. Um, we, We try to push some things out of our lives, loves that we have, maybe some things that we love too much, things that we're too focused on. And we set aside this season just to see you know, maybe if we can let God take a greater role in our lives. And because when you don't live, if you get too cluttered and too distracted, it actually chokes off your spirituality. It, you probably remember that parable that Jesus told It's in Mark four about the seed. And he talks about how the farmer sows the word and that some people were like the seed that was along the path where the word was sown and they hear the word. And then it, 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 Jesus said, Satan comes and takes the way uh, uh, the word immediately from them. And then he talks about these other people who is the seed, God's word is sown on rocky places. They hear the word at once they receive it with joy. And then said, but since they have no root, they only last a short while. But when trouble, persecution comes because of the word, uh, they quickly fall away. And then here's the ones that I was, I was thinking of. Still others like the seed sown among thorns, Jesus said, they hear the word But then stuff starts cluttering their lives. The worries of of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things start coming in and choking, choking the word, making it unfruitful. He's talking about people that are fairly mature here with God's thoughts, but they get to the point where they just get so busied and harried and stuff filling their lives that they just kind of lose the edge. I think... These are the people that, uh, and many of you are these, who who this kind of season can be so enriching because you're really just trying to make, unclutter your life, pull out the thorns and the weeds of your lives, and uh, begin to focus on uh, letting God have a little more space in your life. We give up stuff in, in this season to make room for God. Uh, we fast. We give up, the, you know, maybe the... Um, the notion of, of you love chocolate and maybe you've decided that you're going to not eat as much chocolate. So that impulse that you have uh, for that chocolate, instead of directing it that way, you sort of grab it. Because it, when you don't have it, it creates this like empty spot inside. So that inside no chocolate empty spot, <laughs> you sort of direct it toward God. And uh, you say, you know, pray maybe the, the ancient Jesus prayer, which was just simply, come Lord Jesus, Come come into this spot, this longing that I have for that coffee or whatever you've decided to give but this longing that I have for not watching that television program, whatever it is. And I, I think that when you push back from something, make space, and then you engage in something like prayer or uh, you know, you've know, you got the Lenten book that we've got most of you, uh, Making Room for God booklet, and it, it's it's just got a reading in the morning, very short, reading in the afternoon, reading in the evening. I would encourage you to do this because if you do it and it's got an area for you to journal and write some of your thoughts down, I'm telling you, this could be an extremely cool experience for you. So I love, we love this idea. Thank you for coming and sharing it with us. Because really this is about falling in love with God again. Getting that, you know, like going on a second honeymoon or third, whatever. Uh, I love that text in Revelations 2, where Jesus is talking to the churches and, and it says that to the angel of the church in Ephesus, uh, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And this is Jesus. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. Again, these guys are, and gals are pretty committed. You know, They're pretty mature. He said, I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not. You found them to be false, so they've got good theology, good ideas. You persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. But listen to what he says. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You just don't love me as much anymore. So he says, remember that height from which you have fallen, that height of love, and repent, and, and do like you did at 1st Always make this more about me than what you do, or else I'll have to remove your lampstand, which just simply means I won't be able to speak through you. I won't be able to be the light that I intend to be in your context to the world that's around you. This uh, this whole season really is about falling in love with Jesus more. And it starts out with this day, this evening, that we call Ash Wednesday. Interesting. These ashes uh, t- traditionally were the palm branches that were burned, and the ashes from the palm branches from Palm Sunday the year before. And, and lots of symbolism here. The ashes were used really in both the Old and the New Testaments, and throughout church history, to symbolize mourning, you know, like uh, brokenness, to symbolize mortality, um, to symbolize repentance, uh, you know we, some of us are a little awkward about symbolism because you know we're, we're much more technological and analytical, we like to fix stuff but but I think we need to capture our capacity to think symbolically or we we lose our soul a little bit. There's something about symbolism that that pushes beyond Just things into ideas, ideas that transform. The ashes symbolize our mortality, first of all. In Genesis 2, you remember, it says the Lord God formed people from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into uh, uh, the man's nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So in, in, in in the creation of humanity, we were brought out of dust. And then he says after the fall of humankind, in Genesis 3, he says the result of the curse, the result of sin. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, and then that famous quote, From dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, these ashes remind us of where we came from, and of the fact that we're really going back to that original state, that state of that state of dust, that state of ashes. Throughout Uh, the pre-modern history. I mean, saints who were about to die, they actually were laid on on the ground on top of sackcloth, sprinkled with ashes because they were sort of giving a testimony to the fact that they were accepting God's perspective on the human condition, that we are not here permanently at least until resurrection. And and, uh, this helps us um, understand, and this is really hard for us because there's very few things that are certain in this world. One of them is our death. And uh, yet, most sort of pretend like we're not going to die. Uh, sometimes people are all excited about the return of Christ, not so much because they want to see him. Uh, as much as behind the, you know, an under in, in their heart, they're scared of death. And sometimes even their ad- adherence to the notion of Christ's return is because they're uncomfortable with that. But as uncomfortable as it may seem, we need to face the fact that we're all going to face the termination of life. uh, Psalm 102 says, and starting verse 13, uh, the psalmist said, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Watch. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are but we're, we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Um, There's a kind of an odd photograph that you're seeing right now. Um, This is from the monks of the Capuchin order in Rome. And those little signs that they have say, it sounds a little morbid, but it says, What you are now, we once were. What we are now, you will be. And the the real heart of this was not to be creepy. The real heart of this was really to help people to remember that when you think about the fact that you're not here forever yet until your resurrected bodies, it does something powerful to your soul. It's formative to the soul. Sadly, because of modern technology, as wonderful as that is, I mean, I love modern dentistry. Lots of folks 150 years ago died from, you know, tooth problems. So thank God for modern medicine. Thank God for modernity, right? But, but, because one of the downsides of it is, is our sense of of death has become so distant. Um, uh, we we've created almost a, a denial about death that's hurtful to the soul. Because on some level, we, we instead of recognizing our mortality, we kind of think maybe we can beat it, beat mortality with uh, technology. But it's it's precisely realizing our mortality, the fact that we will die, fosters wisdom. It's Psalm ninety that says, "Teach us, God." teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to think about the fact we have a number of days, not forever, yet. And and through that, he said, you'll gain a heart of wisdom. It's when you think about the fact that you're going to die, that you're going to face God, that you start asking yourself, how am I living? I mean, am I living like a prodigal, which is a person who wastes their lives, wastes their talent, waste their strength or am I living uh, in a way that will, will will contribute to eternity and to the lives of people to better the world as God called me to do Romans um, 14 says that each of us will give an account of himself to God and when we think about our, our mortality it, it, it makes us face something that, that, that really is a fear that can lock us up and lock up our productivity it's Hebrews 2 where it talks about Jesus. He says, Since the children have flesh and blood, so he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and watch, and free people who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, sometimes we get into places where we get stuck because we don't face death because we're so afraid of it. And and because we're afraid of it, we don't let the wisdom come forth, the fact that our lives... Here are numbered. The days are numbered. And and it influences how we choose to savor and live out those days. If we never think about it, if we're afraid of it, we just end up being wasteful and our lives get bound up. Death is not something for the believer that needs to be feared uh, crazily, right? I mean, obviously it ought to give you pause. <laughs> That's why we should think about it. But it's really for us a transition. It's not an end. I love... Um, C.S. Lewis he captured this concept of crossing into eternity on the on the last page of The Chronicles of Narnia and he closes this series by writing quote for us this is the end of all the stories but for them it was only the beginning of the real story all their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page now at last they were beginning they were in the beginning chapter of the one great story which no one on earth has read which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before end quote so we we don't have to be afraid of death from the standpoint of, of of thinking that we don't have a sense of what's going to happen because even though eye hasn't seen ear hasn't heard we have that confidence we can grow in our hearts in trusting God but we seldom think about death and because we do we don't process it very well And so we end up living in in a technological hope more than an eternal hope. And eternity seems more cartoonish to a lot of Christians than reality. And and that's really what we face tonight. Have you ever really thought about the fact that you're going to die? The fact that your friends and your family will die. The truth of the matter is, as you and I age, death will continue to happen all around us until it, it finds us. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're going to face God. We're going to have to answer for what we did with our lives. And uh, uh, thinking about this produces a wisdom that is great. So tonight, pause a little. Think about, uh, about your mortality. And the second thing, the last thing that I think these ashes remind us of is, is of our need for repentance. Ashes and this idea of dust, this idea of finality, always spoke of repentance in scripture for instance in the book of Esther Mordecai who's who's her uncle uh, he put ashes on his head when he heard this decree that the king was going to kill all the Jewish people in the Persian Empire Um, ashes symbolizes I acknowledge that I'm mortal and I need to turn from my own self to God right Daniel uh, in the book of Daniel wrote I turn to the Lord God pleading in earnest prayer with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he was interceding for Israel's release from from Babylon, and so he began to pray and he putting putting ashes on himself. Jesus himself makes reference to the ashes. He refers to some towns that refused to repent of their sin, though they had witnessed miracles and they'd heard the good news of Jesus. And, and Jesus said, if the miracles worked in you had taken place in si- Tyre and Sidon, he said they would have reformed in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Repentance. It's really a foundational issue in our walk of faith. And this is a great time to actually stop and think about what do I need to repent from or turn from? In Hebrews 6, it says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. When we talk about repentance, we're not just talking about being aware of the fact that you're a sinner. I mean, a sense of unworthiness and guilt and condemnation, that's never something that lives, and it's never uh, the end game when we talk about repentance. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for people who are in Christ Jesus. We've been made righteous in God's sight. We need to have a righteousness consciousness, right? We need to be aware that somehow we stand before him accepted and loved because of what Jesus has done. But that righteousness consciousness can sometimes slip into a form of denial. And even though you know you're right before God, sometimes you can just be sloppy with your life. And repentance addresses that. Remember John the Baptist told uh, people, he said in Matthew 3, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Don't say to yourselves, you know, we have Abraham as our father, right? You know, because he says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax, uh, John says, is already laid at the roots and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The idea here is that even though you have been made righteous in your heart, and even though you know, you might be connected to God in some way, that doesn't mean that you can just do whatever you want to do. And if, if you don't live in a way that's appropriate to your heart, you're going to be cut off. That doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It, it just means that you're just not going to be fruit. It means you're not going to... Your life won't mean anything. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll just be taking up space. Um, John claimed, he said, Guys... I, I, this is in First John. If we claim to have fellowship with Jesus and we're walking in the darkness, we're lying. We're not living by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we actually have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. But then He says, "But if if you, if you claim to be without sin, and the context is when you really are in sin and you know it, He said you're deceiving yourself. The truth isn't in you. But if you confess your sin, He's faithful. He's just." he'll forgive you of your sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. So if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his truth or his word has no place in our lives. So again, even though you're a Christian, even though you have Christ in your heart and even though, yes, you are um, the righteousness of God in Christ, that doesn't mean you may not have sin in your life. And this is a time for us to stop and say, okay, God, help me really look at my life. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Of course, unless you you fail the test. This is just a similar, the idea of, of, of David when he says, when he cries out in Psalms, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. This is a cry for us in this season. We're righteous, but we also need to be aware of our poverty, our need for God, the fact that that we need help. We need God. Uh, We never graduate from that. And uh, there's times in our lives that we have failure going on. And uh, we wear ashes tonight as sort of a public confession to that and of our need for God. So here's how we need to respond in all of this. Ashes have been used repeatedly all through church history as a sign of public repentance as a sign of conf- of the confession of our sin and the confession of our mortality and of our of our need for god so as you go to the stations that are in the room uh, tonight uh, that have ashes i want to encourage you to do this with pause ask yourself or think a little bit about your mortality realizing that one day you will face death have you really faced that and then secondly ask God during this season when you are um, when you're sort of trying to make room for God in your life whether you're doing a little fasting and feeling a little irritable for it let let some of that rise to the surface and say God look 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 (laughs) look here's my heart you know show me the thorns that are growing and and really just begin to let God speak to you during this season our hope is that God really will have whole new spaces in all of our lives and that will translate into uh, refreshing and strength and fruitfulness. So right now we're going to turn this over to the campus pastor and uh, he'll give us some logistical directions for how to do this. Lead us in some prayer and uh, have a wonderful, uh, horribly glorious moment with God as you do this.